In the previous Mishnah, we were introduced to the 24 groups of Kohanim, known as Mishmarais, and how although during the rest of the year, each Mishmar would serve in the Beit HaMikdash for one week at a time, and there would be a rotational system, on the Shalish Regalim, all of the Mishmarais, all Kohanim could come into the Beit HaMikdash and be part of the offering of the Korbanis Musaf, and as well as that, they also had the right to whatever Korbanis were eaten, all of the Kohanim could take part in that, as long as it's the Karbonis which were related directly to the Yom Tov. Karbonis which are bought for the sake of the Yom Tov, which are eaten, so those could be eaten by all of the Mishmaris, they are split equally. However, as we will see in the following Mishnah, all of the other Karbonis, for example, the voluntary Karbonis which other people would bring on Chalamoid, let's say, so only the Mishmar whose turn it was, only they would offer out those Karbonis and take part in eating them. They would split it within their own Mishmar alone. Says the Mishnah, at three times in the year, and this is referring to the Shalosh Rugalim, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, all of the Mishmaris, all of the groups of Kohanim were equal, but a Horigolim, which in this context means Karbonis, which are brought for the sake of the Yom Tov. So all of the Mishmaris had equal share in offering them and in receiving those parts which can be eaten. So this includes Karbonis Musaf. This also includes the Karbon, which every single man above the age of Barabbas Mitzvah is obligated to bring on all of the Shalosh Regalim when he comes to the Beis HaMikdosh. That's not a public Karbon. It's a private Karbon, but part of those Karbonis go to the Karnim and they are being bought because of the Yom Tov. And therefore, all of the Mishmaras have equal share in these. As well as that, if Yom Tov fell on Shabbos, or Cholomoed, whenever Shabbos fell during that week of Yom Tov, or if it fell on Shavuos, so the Chilg Lechem Aponim. When it comes to splitting the Lechem Aponim, which were the 12 very large loaves of bread, which are generally eaten on Shabbos and split between the two Mishmaros who were changing over. A Mishmar would always finish working and start working on Shabbos. That was the switchover. And that is when the 12 loaves were split. So in general, they were split between those two Mishmaros. However, on a Shabbos which fell during Yom Tov, that bread was split between all 24 Mishmaros who were there in the Beis HaMikdosh. Now, Boatzeres, if Shabbos falls on Shavuos, so the Lechem Aponim, although we called it bread, the truth is Lechem Aponim were actually made of matzah. It was not chometz, it wasn't bread. It was sort of 12 loaves of matzah. Now on Shavuos, there is also an offering of bread, two loaves, and on Shavuos it has to be chometz, not matzah. So if Shavuos fell on Shabbos, then all 24 Mishmaris would receive both the lechem upon him and the shteh lechem, the two loaves of bread brought on Shavuos. So to make sure that each Mishmar would receive one of each, and not by mistake two um, of the lechem upon him, or two portions of the chometz of the shteh lechem, so they would make sure to clearly say... They would say to each coin who would receive the chometz and the matzah, the shteh lechem and the lechem upon him, heiloch matzah, heiloch chometz. Here you go, here's some matzah, and here is some chometz. The matzah being from the lechem upon him, and the chometz being from the shteh lechem. And that, they, that way they would make it very clear, and make sure that there would be no mistakes of by mistake giving, let's say, two portions of the lechem upon him to one coin instead of one portion of the lechem upon him, and one portion of the Shteh Alechem. Now, as we explained before, Mishmar Shazmani Kavua, the Mishmar whose time was fixed, it was their time, it was their turn during the week of Yom Tov. Who Makriv Tamidin? 
only that Mishmar would be part of the offering of the Korbanes Tomid, the daily offering which has not got anything to do with the Yom Tov itself, Nudorim or Nudovais, various voluntary offerings which people are bringing to the Beis HaMikdash not because of the Yom Tov. It might be that people happen to bring lots more on Yom Tov and on Cholamoyed, but it is not related to the Yom Tov itself, and so only that Mishmar would take part in those Korbanes, Ush'ar Korbanes Tzibur, and the rest of the public Korbanes which have not got anything to do with the Yom Tov itself. For example, the Korban Musaf of Shabbos. And the Mishnah adds, Umakrivesakol, they would offer up everything. Now, we already saw that they don't offer up everything, because the Korbanis, which have something to do with the Yom Tov, are split equally between all of the Mishmarais. So what does it mean that they offer up everything? The Gemara explains it's coming to include something else known as Kayetz HaMizbeach. What exactly is Kayetz HaMizbeach? So if there were no Korbanis being bought at any particular moment during the day... So in order that the Mizbeach not just be left there, not being used, and without any Karbonis, the Mizhamedosh itself would pay for Karbonis to be bought on the Mizbeach. That was known as Kaitz HaMizbeach, and again, that is not because of the Yom Tov at all. And so only the Mishmar whose turn it was, they would offer up the Karbonis as part of the Kaitz HaMizbeach. Now the last part of the Mishnah tells us that if Yom Tov HaSomach LaShabbos, if a day of Yom Tov, Yom Tov itself, not Cholamoid, but an actual day of Yom Tov, if it falls next to Shabbos, whether it be before Shabbos on a Friday, or whether it be after Shabbos on a Sunday. So any Kohen who wanted to come and serve in the Mishamikdash for Yom Tov would pretty much be forced to come for Shabbos as well. And so the Chachom instituted that all of the Mishmaris would be would have an equal share in the 12 loaves, the 12 pieces of matzah of Shabbos, even though the Shabbos is not Yom Tov itself, since it is right next to Yom Tov and the Kainim are all there only because they're forced to be there in order that they'll be able to be there for Yom Tov, so they get an equal share in the Shabbos matzah loaves, even though it is not actually on Yom Tov itself. Mishnachas, what happens if if one day falls in between Yom Tov and Shabbos? So either Yom Tov ends on a Thursday or Yom Tov starts on a Monday. So it's technically possible for the Karnim to leave the Beis HaMikdash on Friday or to arrive on Sunday. However, it would be quite inconvenient, and most Karnim, if they had been there for Yom Tov, or they're coming for Yom Tov, and there's only one day in between Yom Tov and Shabbos, they would be in the Beis HaMikdash for Shabbos as well. However, since it is possible for them to have left, or to have arrived later, they are not considered to be equal to the Mishmar whose turn it is. Although at the same time, they do still take a share in the Lechmaponim, in the Matzah loaves, as the Mishnah describes. Mishmar Shazmane Kavua, the Mishmar whose fixed time it is, it's their week in the Beis HaMikdash, they would take 10 out of 12 of the loaves. Now the truth is, there would never be just one Mishmar who would take all of the loaves. As we explained earlier, the Mishmaris would always switch on Shabbos, and Shabbos is the day that they would split the loaves. So as we're about to see later on in this Mishnah, they would actually split it, according to most, there would be 6 and 6. So in this case, where Yom Tov falls either on a Thursday or a Monday, so the two Mishmaris who are switching on Shabbos, they would split, instead of 12, they would split 10, so they would each get 5, instead of six loaves, and the remaining two loaves, those Karnim who are staying there extra, they would all split two loaves between them. Now what would they do regularly? And during the rest of the days of the year, the Mishmar who is coming in now and starting their week, they take six of the loaves, and the Mishmar who is leaving, they also take six loaves. Rabbi Huda says, the Mishmar who is coming in, 
They take seven loaves, and the Mishmar who is leaving only take five loaves. Now, of course, ultimately they would always end up getting 12 loaves altogether, just instead of getting six loaves this Shabbos, and then the next Shabbos when they leave, they get another six, they instead start by getting seven this week and five when they leave. Now, why is that? So the Mepharshim explain that on that Shabbos, the first few things which need to be done that day in the Beis HaMikdosh are done by the first Mishmar. And in general, if somebody starts, if a group of people or a group of Khanim start doing something in the Beis HaMikdosh, they should finish it. However, what happens? They, le- they leave in the middle of the day, and the next Mishmar comes, and they do the rest of the things which need to be done that day. So, for example, the original, the first Mishmar, they opened the gates of the Beis HaMikdosh, but the next Mishmar are the ones who close the gates. So in a way, you could look at it as if they're sort of finishing their job for them. The first Mishmar really should have done it, but the new Mishmar are doing it for them. So in return for that, the new Mishmar take one of their loaves. Continues the Mishnah, Those Kanim who are coming in as part of the new Mishmar, they split the loaves in the north part of the Azara. That's considered the more holy part of the Azara, where the higher level Korbanos are slaughtered. And since this Mishmar is coming for a new week of service in the Beis HaMikdash, they're on the way to that, so they are considered sort of on a higher level, and they go to the holier part of the Azara, the Hayyots in Badoraim, whereas the Kanim who are leaving as part of the other Mishmar, who had already been there for a week, they split the loaves in the south part of the Azara. Now there was one exception to this, and that is Bilga. This was a name for a particular Mishmar, all of the 24 Mishmaris had names, so Bilgo was the name of one of them. And that Mishmar, they would always have to split the loaves in the south part of the Azara. That was as a punishment, as we will explain in a moment. And they were punished in two other ways as well. Number one is the Tabat Their ring was fixed. In the north part of the Azara, of the courtyard, there were 24 rings on the floor, which could be sort of lifted up from the ground, or turned over a bit, and they would put the animal underneath that ring, and then close the ring, so that the animal couldn't move about a lot, and it would have to stay there while being slaughtered. Otherwise, it would be likely that the animal would be moving about a lot, and the slaughtering might become invalid. So by making the animal go under the ring and be still, so they could do the shechita, they could slaughter the animal quite easily. But in order to get the animal's head underneath the ring, they had to lift the ring up, or turn it round a bit so it goes underground. The point is that the ring of Bilga of that Mishmar, there were 24 rings for each Mishmar, so the ring which corresponded to Bilga, that was fixed, so in order to slaughter the animals, they had to borrow somebody else's ring, the ring of a different Mishmar. And the third punishment was Vachalina Setuma, their window was closed, this refers to a particular chamber known as Beis HaChalifais, which is where the knives were kept, the knives which were needed for the Beis HaMikdash, and each Mishmar had a particular window, which they could put their knives into the chamber through that window. But again, Bilgo's window was closed, they would have to borrow a different Mishmar's window, and these three things were punishments for the Mishmar of Bilgar. Now, why exactly were they punished? So the daughter of one of the Karnim who were part of this Mishmar, she left her faith, she ended up marrying a Greek, and when the Greeks entered and were matame, they made the Beis HaMikdosh impure, she came inside the Beis HaMikdosh, and she kicked the Mizbeach, and she shouted, Lucus, Lucus, which is the Greek for wolf, wolf. She disgraced the Mizbeach, and she said, up until when will you continue destroying the money of the Jews? The Jews spent so much money on the Karbonais, and yet it doesn't seem to help, because now the Greeks are entering the Beis HaMikdosh. She totally made a disgrace of the Beis HaMikdosh, the Mizbeach, the Jewish people. And so after the Hanukkah story, where the Chashmonoim won, 
And it overcame the Greeks, so the Chachon punished this Mishmar of Bilgar in these three ways. Solik Maseches Sukkah, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. The focus of this Masechta is Yom Tov, and that's referring to actual days of Yom Tov, not including Cholamoyed, and also not including Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is considered like Shabbos, but it's referring to days of Yom Tov, such as the first day of Pesach and the last day of Pesach, the first and last days of Sukkot, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, and in general, just like on Shabbos, there are 39 forbidden malachas, 39 forbidden categories of work, so too, everything which is forbidden on Shabbos is also forbidden on Yom Tov, but the Mishnah Megillah tells us there is one big exception to that, and that is activities which are done for oichel nefesh, for the preparation of food, anything for the sake of food, is permitted on Yom Tov. The Torah explicitly writes with regards to the Yom Tov of Pesach, that one cannot perform any forms of work, ach asha nefesh, the things which are done for the sake of food, that alone can be done for yourselves. However, not everything to do with food is permitted. Around a third of the 39 malachas are to do with the preparation of food. For example, trapping an animal. That's technically for the sake of preparing food. Harvesting a field, you could argue, is for the sake of food. It's an early stage, but it's definitely for the sake of food. But it is certainly forbidden to harvest a field on Yom Tov. Now, with regards to defining which malachas, which forms of work, are permitted on Yom Tov, so there is wide debate as to how exactly to define this. According to many Rishonim, the rule is that if the thing could have been done before Yom Tov, and there would have been no difference in quality of the food. For example, whether you harvest something yesterday or today makes no difference to the actual quality of the final product. So something like that would be forbidden to be done on Yom Tov. However, something like slaughtering the animal or cooking the animal, that certainly does make a difference if it was done fresh that day, and therefore that can be done on Yom Tov. According to others, it depends on how close to the final product it is. So harvesting, which is a very early stage, cannot be done, but cooking, which is right to the end, so that can be done, and we'll see throughout the Masechta which malachas are included in what can be done on Yom Tov. There is another very wide debate as to whether all of this is Midrabonon or Midoraisa. According to some, any form of work which has any connection to food, even something like harvesting the field, even though it's a very early stage and it could have been done before Yom Tov, Midoraisa is permitted to be done on Yom Tov. However, Midrabonon, they said that so that somebody does not end up spending his whole day of Yom Tov working, and doesn't actually enjoy Yom Tov, and fulfill the mitzvah of rejoicing on Yom Tov, so Midrabonon they forbade it. That is the opinion of Samrishonim. Other Rishonim, however, argue and hold that it is Midoraisa, forbidden to harvest and do other malachas which are similar to that on Yom Tov, and it was never originally included in those malachas which the Torah permits to be done on Yom Tov. Now the reason why the Masechta is called Masechta's Beitzah, and not something like Masechus Yom Tov, which would seem to make more sense, is because of the first word of the Masechta. The first case of the Masechta involves an egg, and that is how the Masechta gained its name of Beitzah. Be as it may, the first case of the Mishnah has many different interpretations in the Gemara of what exactly is the issue at hand. We will explain it according to what seems to be the conclusion over there, and that is that it concerns the requirement of Hachona. Beis Hill learned from a posk in the Torah which says It will be on the Friday They will prepare what they will bring Beis Hill learned from here that there is a requirement to prepare what one will eat on Shabbos and the same applies to Yom Tov before Shabbos or Yom Tov begins that one has to designate and prepare the food on a weekday for the sake of the Shabbos or the Yom Tov Now when an egg is laid by a hen it actually becomes fully developed and ready to be laid one day before it is actually laid. That is when it becomes a ready egg, 
one day before it is actually laid. It follows therefore that if you have a Yom Tov which falls on a Sunday, if an egg is laid on the Sunday, it must have been prepared and become ready the day before which was a Shabbos. And in such a case, the requirement of Achona is not fulfilled. The requirement of Achona states that it has to be prepared from a weekday for Shabbos or Yom Tov. But over here, it was prepared on Shabbos for Yom Tov. And so according to Beis Hillel, that would not be able to be eaten. Not only that, but according to Beis Hillel, even if Yom Tov does not fall on a Sunday, but it falls on any day of the week, Midrabonon, it is also forbidden to eat that egg, in case somebody comes to eat the egg when it is laid on a Sunday Yom Tov. People won't think in their minds to make a difference between when, which day of the week Yom Tov falls. And so if they are permitted to eat an egg which is laid on a Yom Tov which falls on a Tuesday, let's say, they will come to eat it even when the Yom Tov falls on a Sunday. And therefore Midrabonon, it is forbidden on every Yom Tov. An egg which is laid on Yom Tov, it can be eaten. According to Beis Shammai, there is no requirement of Achona at all. On the other hand, it cannot be eaten because of the requirement of Achona. And even if the Yom Tov does not fall on a Sunday, it is forbidden to eat it. The Mishnah already goes sidetracked now to a halacha concerning Pesach. And the reason why the Mishnah brings this machlekes over here is because it is similar to the previous machlekes in that Beis Hillel are more strict than Beis Shammai. This is very rare, so the Mishnah is now going to bring two more cases concerning Yom Tov, where Beis Hillel is more strict than Beis Shammai. Now, as well as the prohibition of eating chomits on Pesach, there is also a prohibition of Bayirae or Bayimotze. And when talking about these prohibitions, the Torah specifies regular chomets, and also su'ur, which is sourdough, which is dough which has developed enough in its process of fermentation that it can cause other doughs to rise, similar to how yeast causes dough to rise. And Bishamai learned that from the fact that the Torah specified both types of chomets and separated the two things, we learn from here that the minimum amount that one must own in order to be chayev is different for chomets and su'ur. Su'ur is considered to be an even bigger form of chomets because it can cause other things to rise. And so the minimum amount for that is smaller, according to Beis Shammai. Beis Shammai, Beis Shammai says, Su'ur b'chazayis. To be chayef for owning su'ur on Pesach, one has to own at least the size of an olive. The chomets, but when it comes to regular chomets, which only itself has risen, but it can't cause other things to rise, b'chakeseves, only if one owns the larger amount of the size of a date, only then would he have violated the Avera of Bayiro'e of owning chomets on Pesach. The minimum amount for both of them is the size of an olive. Basil does not differentiate between the two, and he is more strict, therefore, because he holds that the smaller amount applies even to regular chomets. Mishnah Gimel, what follows is another debate between Shammai and Basil in which Basil is more strict, and the issue at hand is the mitzvah of Kisui Hadam. The Torah says that when one slaughters a kosher wild animal or a kosher bird, there is a mitzvah to cover the blood which comes out, cover it with earth or sand, and sort of bury the blood in the ground. Now, one of the permitted forms of work on Yom Tov is slaughtering an animal. The problem is, however, it is forbidden to dig up earth on Yom Tov. There are a number of prohibitions involved. Firstly, it could very well be mid oraisa forbidden, because crushing the earth is considered to be like grinding. It could also be considered like ploughing. And apart from that, it is also Midrabonon forbidden because of Muktza. If something is not set aside at the beginning of Shabbos or the beginning of Yom Tov to be used, and one doesn't have the intention to use it, he hasn't set it aside, it is considered to be Muktza and forbidden to move. So if he didn't prepare the earth before Yom Tov, then certainly the earth is also considered to be Muktza. 
Now, concerning the prohibitions mid-eraser which are involved in digging up the earth, that can be solved if before Yom Tov, one places a spade in the ground and he loosens the earth, so he won't need to crush it when he comes to lift it up on Yom Tov. And then the next day, once he slaughters the animal, he can just sort of lift up the earth from the ground with the spade, and he will not violate any Malachim mid However, just by placing the spade into the ground is not enough to set aside that part of the ground for use on Yom Tov. Only if, if you were to lift up the actual earth, that part of the earth, only then would it be considered really setting it aside to be used on Yom Tov, and therefore Midrabon and it is still considered to be Mukta. Nevertheless, according to his Shammai, Hashochit Chayv Oif Yom Tov, one who wants to slaughter, that's how the Gemara explains, one who wants to slaughter a wild animal or a bird on Yom Tov, Bishamai and Bishamai say, as long as he placed a spade and loosened the ground where he stuck the spade in before Yom Tov, he can ignore the prohibition of Muktzah Mijabonon, and Yachpur he can dig up that earth with the spade Vichase and cover the blood in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Kisui Hadam. According to Bishamai, the Rabbonon were lenient in this case because of the mitzvah with the Eraisa of Simchas Yom Tov, of enjoying the Yom Tov. So in order to make it possible and easier for one to be able to slaughter an animal on Yom Tov, there is no prohibition of mukta in this case. We still remember, but still say, He is not allowed to slaughter the animal, because he will have to come to violate the prohibition of mukta. Unless he had earth which was totally prepared before Yom Tov, on Erev Yom Tov, meaning he would have had to lift it up the earth and taken it out and totally prepared it before Yom Tov, in order that it not be considered to be Mukta. However, Umoidim, Beishilil do agree the Shem Shachat, that if he did nevertheless go ahead and slaughter the animal, so now that he has slaughtered it, he has a mitzvah de Eraisa to cover the blood. And if the only earth which he has is earth which he prepared by sticking a stone into the ground and loosening it, so there's no prohibition with de Eraisa involved. So in this case, since there is a mitzvah de Eraisa of covering the blood, and only a prohibition with Jabonon of Mukta, that he should dig up that earth with the spade and cover the blood. Now the Mishnah adds a last law, and that is which the Gemara reads as It's a new point, and that is that the ashes of an oven are considered to be prepared. So if someone has not yet slaughtered the animal and he wants to know, is he allowed to? So sticking a spade into the ground is not good enough. But the ashes which are in an oven, which had been there already from the beginning of Yom Tov, those are not considered to be mukta, since they can be used for Kisuy Adam. The general intention of a person is to set those aside for use on Yom Tov, and therefore if he does have ashes in the oven, he would be able to slaughter the animal, and then use the ashes to cover the blood and fulfill the mitzvah of Kisuy Adam.